if you enjoy this, I'd like you to please, please, please go to the Philosophy versus Improv page on Apple Podcasts, the iTunes Store, wherever you listen to this, and leave a nice rating and review. If you don't know how to do this, there's even a nice little widget in the upper right of philosophyimprov.com to walk you through it. Thanks. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. My name is Bill Arnett, an improv professor curious about philosophy. I'm Mark Lintemeyer, a philosophy kook who's cuckoo to learn improv. And uh, we have a special guest today. Please introduce yourself. I'm Linda Orr, and I am nuts about improv. All right. And do you have any, have you ever taken a philosophy class? Do you have any? Oh, I've taken Philosophy 101, and I got a C in the class. Perfect. <laughs> that is exactly what we're looking for. Was it a, a lazy C, or was it a work hard C? <sighs> it was a little of both, I have to admit. Oh, <laughs> uh, why the hell did I do this to myself, C? No, it was more college is hard. What? <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's also okay to retroactively change that, like that if you were working hard and then you don't, it doesn't work out, you can say, this is so, so it just it wasn't you trying anyway. Fuck that. <laughs> now, believe it or not, both of us have a, well, you will believe this part. Both Mark and I have a little lesson to get the other person to catch, to latch onto. However, this little discussion about college, Linda, has already given a hint towards my lesson. I just want to throw that out there into the ether. I think we've established a way to not have my philosophy lesson get completely submerged in a way that it often does in a regular episode when I have to just bring it up on the sly, is that when we have an improv guest, I get to throw out just a word, just a thing to kind of get us going, and then Bill can start a scene. And so, yes, are you clear of your role in this, Linda? I think I'm being an improviser in it. We're doing the whole thing. We're having, we're chatting, we're doing scenes. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the end, we will ask you to judge. You will be the judge of which of the two lessons produced the most profound effect in you, in the world, in each other. It is not who's better, Bill or me. Maybe you could be the winner. Who knows? It'll be up to you. There is no sense of uh, even way to be corrupt. We have allowed okay, carte blanche. With that in mind, my topic here is money. Is it the root of all evil? Is it a, I, I don't even want to fill your head. What does that immediately make you think of philosophy? Is, is that even a philosophy topic at all? Oh, certainly. I don't know. I mean, normally when I think of money, my first thought would go to like the rent. But being on a half philosophy, philosophy podcast, yep. uh, my money is like, oh, well, it's just like how you can turn your effort into a token to be used later. You can kind of tokenize your efforts. Linda, does that match up with, what do you have to add to that? Well, yeah. For, well, the first thing I'm going to say is I love money. I want more <laughs> of it. I want a lot of it. And I don't care if that makes me a bad person. But I also went to making, monetizing my art and how that will make me feel more valuable. Uh, paper applause, I believe, is how uh, Bill Bruford, <laughs> famed uh, progressive rock drummer, described it. Mm -hmm. as a way of it saying, is. it's okay. It, you can be as artsy as you want to be. Money's fine. Money's great. You can, again, mm -hmm. after the fact, say, well, I didn't need that money anyway. That's, that money's just bullshit. Money is just a fiction. The, and that's a perfectly also a fine way to excuse uh, the lack of it in your life, if you're an artist. The big issue is going to be 
how we value this labor that we are turning into money. And some people's labor seems to be more valuable. It's like Animal Crossing. Do you pick the pears or do you, you know, go fish? You know, and it's the same amount of time. And saying you're just mashing buttons on the Animal Crossing, you know, on the Nintendo Switch. But some things we want to say are more fruitful and we feel like, well, that's better or smarter. Yet I'm sure we all agree that there are people who are paid insane amounts of money for little to no labor. And I think that (laughs) aggravates people. Not to mention there's only, as an artist as well, Linda, I will say there is a finite amount of money going towards creators. and It is annoying to see creator X, who is at least as talented as you are, perhaps less, have access to that money spigot, while you may not have access to that money spigot, despite you being just as capable, perhaps even more capable. And And perhaps (laughs) working harder, too. Exactly. Yes. And that is a tremendous frustration for those of us in the artistic community. Does this inspire you to uh, start us on a scene or an exercise or, or if you want to have Linda start us? The improv thing is in your corner. We can go ahead and start a scene here inspired by some of those things. I'm going to say, though, that I'm not going to explain my lesson right now. I'm just going to try to make it happen. Now we can talk about it later. Mm. Okay. Linda, do you want to start or would you rather me start? How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling pretty good. And just for everyone who's at home who can't see this because this is a podcast, you appear to be in a log cabin. I in am in a bed, log cabin. <laughs> <laughs> Completely prone, several layers of covers over her head, just to, yes. just so we could just see your little tiny face peeking out, propped up, bedhead, kicking. Well, I'm jealous. I'm jealous, not going to lie. Thank you. You know, this is the bed that Saturdays with Linda happened in. <laughs> That's historic, I assume. Yeah, it's a historic bed for a historic show that I made zero dollars on. well you can't beat our uh uh, two patreon supporters right now so uh i'll save the vitriol about that to the end of the show let's uh let's get into those two supporters you want to start the scene linda do you want me to how you feel i want you to start the scene bell okay Uh, well i want you i want all of you to suggest ways that we can save money okay you know it's like oh everyone hates the boss i get it all right, everyone hates the boss. But when then the boss is like, okay, you make the decisions. You know, and that's, that's what I feel like is happening right now. Well, you've only given us like 10 minutes of being the boss, you know? Like if you want us to have better ideas, give us the 10 years that you've had. Take more time. Take more. That's fine. If you guys want to take more time and just think about this, if our department doesn't shave 10% off our budget, it's coming out of salaries or bonuses. It's coming from y'all, all right? Why, why from us? Why not from you? I mean, you're, you're probably making the, it, raking it in. Technically, as a manager, I am in a different, I'm not a member of this department. I am overseer of this department. And look, it's bad for me in different ways. It's bad for me in different ways. But if I were to take, you know, the 10% this department needs out of my salary, I'd owe this company money, <laughs> okay? So... That I can't believe you just said that. How about providing worse service? That would save quite a bit of money. That's not going to fly. I can't tell my boss that we've decided to provide worse service. Mm-hmm. Okay. But honestly, we are in the airline industry. So, you know, we're... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's low bar. You can't, can't get a lot worse, I realize, but... You know. Right. Okay. People who are flying around the world are used to bad customer service. 
So how about this little travel insurance endeavor that we have right here just becomes worse customer service. Here's what I want you guys to do. All right. I want you to make a moment. Richie, Charlene, think about when you first started. All right. Let's walk us through how this company, I bet you've seen some inefficiencies. I bet you've seen some things. Oh, for sure. 100%. All right. Okay. Perfect. Like, I remember when I started working at this company, I was dating Jimmy. Okay, well, he's gone. He's fired. You know that. I know, but okay. I'm thinking back to those days. All right, so you're dating Jimmy. Okay, you're dating Jimmy. I'm dating Jimmy. Jimmy. You guys all saw, like, just how treacherous that was for me every day to come into work and not knowing if he was going to dump me that day or the next day or if he even loved yes. me. Yes, or, we remember. Yeah. And then like he was like mad that I was there all day, even though he's the one that got me the job. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know if I'm doing this right or wrong. I was just out of my mind. Sure. Okay. Okay. You're too good for him anyway. I, I would have thought when you found out he was a gigolo that you would have just stopped it right there. But the fact that you oh. were fine with that seemingly... I mean, that's why he got fired oh, ultimately because I, he was doing that on the planes. And uh, I mean, that, that is a way that we could add some revenue if we made that official. But it seemed like that was against. There will be no okay. escort services on, on the planes. But you know, that's what he told me, right? He told me, I have to do this for the company. Don't mention it out loud because the company will deny, deny, deny. But they know I'm doing it and it's part of my job and it's my expectation. I was so stupid. Did you even get a cut of that? Did he even give you some of his uh, ill-gotten profits? No. All he gave me was syphilis. Okay. okay t- time know? out, everybody. Does any of that have anything to do with an efficiency that this company can can manage and we can do a better job? You said think back to when you first started. And well, that's yes. what was happening when I first started. When I first started, I was a baby. I was just out of high school. Uh-huh. I just didn't know anything. And I entered in here and my eyes were wide and I was like, I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to be uh, serving the world. And I just sit in a cubicle and I don't actually do any of that. And so I feel like I'm already saving the company money because you hardly pay me anything and I'm not fulfilling my dreams. Let me give an example. This is what I'm looking for, you guys. This is what I'm looking for. I did, when I started this company after college, I was a management intern. All right. And I worked at Midway Airport. All right. Now, every day when I got there, All of the food service people had to deliver their food through the security to get it through to the restaurants and services beyond the other side of security. All right. And I'm the one, but every day, these same people who who drive the trucks have to deliver the food through security and they got to go through security. Of course, they're not ready for it. And I was like, you know what would save time? If they just stuck it on a pallet and then the people who work in the restaurants come and pick it up. And that way, no one has to go through security. It didn't oh. even help. I mean, there, a lot of poison got through anyway. Well, look, it saved a tremendous amount of time and money for the airport manager. Does that make sense? So that, that's, what I'm ta- that's what I'm talking about. Is there any, I bet, Richie, come on now. I bet you have seen something in your time here that you're like, why would we do it like that? Okay, so we're paying the government, the government, to put a marshal on the plane. When really, and we're paying security people to take guns out of the hands of good American passengers, put those together. Good people with guns, pre-approved. I guess, I mean, you could kind of just like look at them. Uh, you know, you could kind of tell. Make it okay for some passengers to have guns. 
make it mandatory that at least a certain percentage of passengers have guns, and thereby we don't need to pay for the marshal. Some kind of air marshal posse. That's what you're saying. We raise a posse of civilian air marshals. Is that what you're saying? I mean, yeah, especially if they can just do justice on the spot. Okay, well, I'm, I'm talking about something specific to your life that you experienced from when you started working here. Something that you saw that you think would change things. Not hire Jimmy back. Right, definitely. That's what we got from Charlene. Check. Done that. I mean, do we need the chocolate fountain in the break room? I know you requested that, but it seemed like a little much. Actually, I kind of like the chocolate fountain. I mean, I love the chocolate fountain. I'm just saying, if you want to save a little money. It was going in the trash from the holiday party five years ago. Okay? That was going in the trash anyway. Exactly. It's basically free. Okay. There's a difference. It seems like it's the same chocolate circulating through that thing for like three days in a row before somebody gets around to cleaning it out. So that's fine. I don't know. I stopped using it a while ago myself, but more for the rest of us. I like it in theory. How could you stop using it? It's so good. All you need to do for a mocha is get in the carrot and then like three seconds, like just put your little cup under the stream of chocolate, you know, and it's not even a little stream. It's a big stream. Yeah. It's so much fun. And then chocolate gets on the side of the cup. You get to lick that off. It's amazing. Don't get rid of the chocolate fountain. Don't do it. All right. As long as like we can. In fact, I think we need to add to the budget just to replenish, just more replenishing. Just it gets pretty nasty. I was thinking, could we go paperless? Could we cut down on using paper post-it notes, a paperless chocolate fountain? Can we use fewer pens? Can we things we can do to save money? Sans um, chocolate fountain. Well, what if? You know, what if we worked half the day? That's a that good idea. That would We're not going to go to the bathroom as often. And you only pay us 75% of our normal salary for no, no, half no. the hours. No, we get our full salary. Oh, okay. Like, if I was going to just get half my salary, I'd just take the 10% cut, you know, mm. instead of that. My first job was with a company that was a medical marijuana company and they were all big on making sure everybody got a living wage and everybody worked a four-day work week but here's the thing i'm going to tell you right now my phone on that friday i had off for my four-day work week my phone never quit ringing hey phil we're trying to find because there would be people at the office because even though i'm only working four days the office is open five days hey phil we're trying to where are the staples to replace the stapler Hey, Phil, do you know the password to log into the vendor services? Okay. Hey, so, all right. This whole, like, work part-time, that doesn't mean your phone is off. Because my phone was sure. Yeah? What do people need a stapler for? Um, I don't know. Well, just because you're working in a medical marijuana office, there's still a lot of paperwork. Okay. There is? It's a ton of paperwork. Well, on the tops of the bags, right? The, the dime bags or whatever. No, there's just, because it's just like selling anything. All right. You need to have all the, you got to get your orders, right? Accounts payable, accounts receivable. There's all that, all that stuff. And that was it. Hey, uh, hey, Phil, uh, where is the rest of the, the key for the vending machine? Because the guy is here that fills it. And he, you know, just like. You had a vending machine? Why don't we have a vending machine here? I mean, that could be, a, I guess, a moneymaker if you want to just put a couple sucker items. Especially if you were going to put some of that medical marijuana in that. 
I mean, yeah. that might. I'd love to go to a vending machine and get like some Hostess cupcakes and a joint. I would love that. Okay, those are all things that cost more money. Well, if you put it by Arnie's desk, I mean, he's going to be, we're going to make half of his salary back, right? So it's just a matter of. What's your beef with Arnie, Richie? What's your beef with Arnie? He's high all the time. How about fire Arnie? How about that's a way to save money? He's the one, he puts his whole head in the chocolate fountain. I mean, that's mainly the reason that I, I stopped using it because I just, I could see there's backwash, there's like what? In, what? in his hair. It's a pretty what? normal thing. I don't, you don't notice that, like, I guess his hair is kind of brown anyway. What? And, what? Yeah. Can, is, is there a picture of this? Can we, like, huh? I mean, it's on his Facebook page. I guess I assumed I, you knew about it. What? Just check, check it. I <sighs> have been putting that chocolate. Wow. In my coffee every morning, and I've been licking the sides of my coffee cup. More importantly, if this is true, I'll look it up. We can can him, no problem. And all our, our money woes will be solved. Whew. Disgusting. Why but- would he even do that? What kind of pleasure would you get out of dipping your head in chocolate? Oh, man. I'm actually looking at his Instagram right now, and his head is not the only thing he dips in chocolate sauce. I am so, so Okay, sorry. gross. Stop. Oh, no. No. Stop. No. Is he putting a body part in there? And we'll stop the scene right there. We'll stop the scene right there. I don't want to fill in details on that. No, we don't. (laughs) I think we uh, learned a lot about the financial foundations of our society. I I need to stop having business meeting scenes. Anybody who's listening at home has got to be getting sick of those things. (laughs) That was a very productive one. I mean... We have business meetings and regular jobs on a regular basis. And that's telling okay. myself I'm not going to do it anymore. But then I get a suggestion like money and my brain just can't turn it off. We need a, some classic improv scenes like getting ready to run in the morning or looking at art. <laughs> All right. Well, those can be future topics. The getting no, ready no, to those run. Are, those are my pet peeve scenes. Those scenes, we can talk about some other time. But there's, <laughs> based on the common ground rules of improv, those scenes happen more times than probability says they should happen. <laughs> I've never, I've never even heard of a scene of somebody getting ready to run in the morning. That sounds oh, uh, like a fruitful, stretching, stretching, and someone walks mm. up. Hey, you ready for this? Mm. It's just like, <laughs> oh, all right. So it's a physical thing. So not so much a podcast. Well, goal. someone walks on stage, doesn't know what to do, so they just kind of stand there and kind of stretch a little bit, and then someone joins them, and it's like, oh, you stretching, huh? Which really added nothing to the scene. Uh, <laughs> it just confirmed the other person's choice made from nervousness and oh then it, it spirals into we're going to run this 5k and right. of course one person's lazy and doesn't want to and the other person is you know <laughs> wants to run the 5k i just explained to you about eight percent of all improv scenes right there mark <laughs> all right and i'm gonna con- of, in the wild in the wild that's about eight percent of all improv scenes so right how there. much can- how much money can i convert that knowledge to Zero. Oh, improvs, Absolutely zero. Perfectly zero. <laughs> I've tried. You kidding me? All right. So you, you started out with this idea that we can convert our time into money, but yet it's not that good a conversion. It's not like the pound to the yen that, you know, might vary a little bit. I have no idea what it is. I assume there's a lot of pounds. I mean, a, a lot of yen to fit in one little pound there. But yeah, fitting in your hours to uh, some cash, it seems it's a little, it's a, uh, Something suspect's going on there. You should be able to plug your effort right into, uh, in fact, maybe if we all had like a hamster wheel in our house, aren't there sci-fi dystopian versions of this where you can just, all the effort you have, just go ahead and put that in and you'll get a, a uniform amount of credit per rotation. 
Well, you get some effort that's skilled effort, a surgeon, and I am perfectly happy with the doctor who removed that tumor I had to like, please drive a Porsche. You want a, you want a, you want a vacation home? I want to make that happen for you. I'm thankful, you know? But then should the hospital president get more money than the head, head surgeon? Right. And I'm not saying that being a director of a hospital isn't difficult or there aren't big decisions to make. But when you're the head of surgery, you are like daily saving lives, daily. And it's aggravating to me to hear that like, well, you know, that surgeon money, that's actually taxed as, as income while someone who's got their dividends check is actually taxed. Less. All that stuff just only serves to drive people crazy. Right. And it's rules made up by people who had money and were like, well, how can I turn this into more money by just saying that's the way you make money? Like, you know what I mean? It was like an invention of how to make money by people or how to save money. You know, it's like, let's just make this legal, even though nobody else has to follow these rules. So social construction, but unlike a lot of social constructions, like maybe status, I don't know, maybe this is a a general rule for social construction. It seems like it's not completely whole cloth. It's not like somebody was just like, let's screw over everybody else. I'm going to invent this thing called money. And look, I start with all of it. No, it's there's already like stuff circulating around and you owe me so many goats. And then we kind of codified that. But then yes, once that was on the table, then people were very creative. What's difficult about labor is there's certain hours when I do it and if I go out and pick apples on my farm, it's like I have to expend that energy then and get the apples then. And then I drive to my fruit stand in the next 15 minutes and then I trade those apples for whatever you trade for in the days of trading things, you know. But because money can just, you can just put it under a rock. You, you can do it. it. It doesn't necessarily lose value. And so you start getting these secondary markets where it's like betting on money and like who can make more money. And, and it's like, there's no secondary market when you're just like expending labor, you know, turning raw materials into finished goods is, is what it is, you know, and you get something at the end of it that's tangible. And once you start inventing tokens that stand for that labor, well, then you can start trading tokens, you know, and this whole secondary tertiary thing. And it's just, I think that's what aggravates people the most ultimately about money. Linda, do you think we should go back to the barter system? No. Okay, first of all, I don't know what you mean by the barter system, but if you mean going back to like just negotiating everything, yes, I definitely think we should go back to that. <laughs> like I'll give you a dozen eggs for a six pack of beer. Okay. Yeah. I, I want everything to be negotiable. That's what I want. Okay. Every <laughs> transaction is a, uh, a Turkish market. Yeah. Yes. I want to go into the store and like have that $4 pack of gum and be like, okay, I will give you a dollar for this. And if they say yes, great, here's your dollar. <laughs> and then you trade it for someone's uh, pack of cigarettes, and then you trade that for somebody's old shoes, and you, you know, and then you got a house. Yeah. Yep. I want to spend as least time as possible with transactions. And so I think that would drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people don't like negotiating. And they're like, nope, I don't want to do this. I want to get in and out. I don't want to barter for this shit. As just long as it us- just takes up all of our time. I mean, I want to spend all my time making money. I want to spend even more time spending the money. I want to just to consume my life. So it's just all about money. Are you truthful, Mark? <sighs> that is truthful. I think I was using something like irony there. But who knows? That's a way that, that people voice things when maybe they suspect they just don't even know. They don't even know what they think about it. 
Well, I think a huge thing that infects people, I don't know, Linda might agree with this, and maybe you too as well, Mark, is chasing money. And sometimes chasing money and chasing happiness or chasing what you'd be good at, those aren't the same thing. And it's a shame that those aren't the same thing and that different jobs are valued differently and that we might spend our time chasing money to our own displeasure and then wake up one day and be like, ah, I'm so unfulfilled. And, you know, NFTs are the big thing right now and people chasing after that or chasing making podcasts, chasing clicks. Let's just say, let's just put the cards on the table, Mark. Every (laughs) word that I say on here is calculated to maximize revenue. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm sure Linda would agree that in the in the greater improv world, the dream of being able to quit your day job is excruciatingly oh, high. That is the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And so cobbling together any existence you can of temping and teaching or coaching, but it asks some people or or some people who are less scrupulous might come in and ask for more money than they're really worth or butter up their resume or get really used car salesman yeah, to try to make all that happen. You got to put the mm-hmm. scrupulosity right on the resume. You got to just get <laughs> as much scruples. I like to work for scruples. I think that would be the, maybe we should do a, another scene before we- We uh, certainly can. We run out of okay. air. Yes. Would you like to start it, Mark or Linda? I was, well, Linda, do you have an idea from what we've been talking about here? Not what we just talked about? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking some sort of exchange- procedure, some sort of a marketplace. We are in a, a large warehouse thronging with people. It's the bazaar, if you will. And I, you know, I got a lot of stuff here uh, behind the counter mostly. And, you know, you can, uh, does the, the voice help? Does that make it more uh, That's great. Yeah. I commercial. Don't, I don't know. Honey, what are you thinking? Because we need to get something. Yeah. Because Daryl's feeding the cat. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. kids are going to want something, you know, mm-hmm. and we should get something for Pops and Graham Graham for watching the kids. Absolutely. You know, do they get one gift or two gifts or? Oh, I think everybody just gets one. Every, well, we, like the kids share a gift and Pops and Graham share a gift? No, no, no. Individually. Each individual gets a gift. Have you thought about a bag of something? A bag of something. I have, I have several bags of powder. You could separate them into little smaller bags. In fact, I'm selling the smaller bags as well. Then each. Uh, what is the powder? I mean, there's blue powder, there's green powder. You can kind of, I've got different signs for the powder. You could say that is uh, magic sneezing powder. You could say that it is okay, edible. You could say it is not. Oh, I, I was thinking more like these little mini Eiffel Towers or the little, you know, croissant refrigerator magnets. You know, that's what I was thinking about when. Right. But now that he says magic sneezing power, I just, you know, honey, I think the kids would like that. Are we really going to get our children magic sneezing powder? Well, don't you think that we'd think that was fun? But they think they would probably play tricks on each other all day. You know how they are. I, I mean, know, if they're going to actually use it, you might want to pick the, the thumbtacks out. I mean, but it's mostly just, it's kind of mostly sawdust. So, you know, I, I wouldn't advise actually having them breathe it in, but, you know, it'll be fun at least. Really, what's fun about a gift is opening it, don't you think? And so I, it being magic sneezing powder being labeled that, they're going to really, they're going to enjoy that. And uh, you could pay in any number of ways. I don't just take cash here. Okay. What else do you take? Uh, well, like a credit card? What, what, do, what do you got? I mean, well, uh, believe card? it or not, I don't mean to out you, honey. Okay. But my wife used to be in a little traveling off-Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe we could put out the hat here, put out the beret, and my wife could do a little singing and dancing. I would love to do something like that. Now, I think that song, what was there was that Old West musical that you were in? Buttons and Bows. Buttons and Bows. And let me just tell you something, Pierre. I'm not. I don't. I'm sure your name is. That's probably rude. But my wife in Buttons and Bows, she played the prostitute with a heart of gold. Heart of gold, heart of gold prostitute mm-hmm. who, because of her station, knew what oh, was going on behind the scenes and all the political ramblings in the town. <laughs> and I was also so funny. I oh, was just so, so funny. cuttingly witty. So <laughs> here's this person who no one, no one really respects and likes talking down about, but is having beers with everybody, knows all the intimate details of what's going on. They're actually the most powerful person in town. In town. Even though they're the least respected person in town. <laughs> All right, so a song that'll work plus thirty dollars. Okay, great. Do you have? Have you seen the show? Have you seen Buttons and Bows? Buttons and Buttons and Bows. I've, I think I might have seen Buttons at some point. I don't. I have. I'm not familiar with the. Okay, it's great. Oh, I've never right. seen Buttons. The year I've never even heard of it. Is 1890. 1890. Mm-hmm. Dodge City, Kansas. Kansas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm Estella. Here, hold on. Uh, I'm going to just snort some thumbtacks here. This is. I think I need some, oh, some help. Somebody's going to gonna enjoy sneeze. This. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm sure you've seen in the movies those Old West kind of bordello yeah. bars. Where's that? Where's that out of tune piano? Mm-hmm. My hair know. is up like this. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's a long braid that comes down on the front of my, down the side of my shoulder, down the front of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my bosom. And I'm wearing a red dress because, you know, that's the color of prostitution. Yeah. 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 And my wife's a beautiful woman, but this role did require a prosthetic. Bosom enhancing. I don't know what how that worked. It, you, you call them latex. chicken cutlets. So, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but it wowed. <laughs> I'm really feeling wild. like we're drifting. I, know. You know, I, I uh, was like, I feel like I'm Dolly Parton right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she would say that. <laughs> I said that all the time. Well, that it was, was one of the things that I said in my warm up too, because I would come out before the show started and I would be like hanging out with like the audience and stuff just to make sure they were ready to laugh. So I'd always say, you know, I had like a tagline. It's like, people think I'm Dolly Parton. <laughs> and it always got a big laugh. I could say that after almost any line I wanted to, right? Like, it wouldn't matter. If like the producers asked me to do something or the director did for that certain night, I'd be like, and then they want me to take them out to dinner after. People think I'm Dolly Parton. Okay, okay. all right, all right. I will pay you $30 to stop this. Here's your sneezing powder. I'm throwing in extra sneezing powder well, and thank extra you. thumb cla- thumbtacks on the side. That's uh, so, so great. They're pre-sorted. That's so great. That's so generous. That's so generous. Here's Viva la France. $30 Viva la France. in Let me just say. Uh, yeah. rubles, in, in uh, scruples. Please take this and make this stop, please. Okay. Oh, but I will make it stop. But just I just want to explain to you one thing. That's why the show was called Buttons and Bows, because there's like a button after every line. It was so much fun. And it it killed. Yeah, it it did. And like Springfield, Illinois, Springfield, Missouri, (laughs) Springfield, Massachusetts. If you name a Springfield, it killed there. It killed. And the bows is because everything was like wrapped up nicely, like it's in a bow. Have you all noticed that the, the line of landed. the line of people behind you have all mm-hmm. left? Mm-hmm. They're all gone. Oh, Every, the whole place oh. is emptied out. Oh, you got time now. Then we don't have to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, this so great. 
The open the curtain opens All right, I'm, on this I, bordello. I, I, ring 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 ring. Oh, I've got a big order coming in. I'm I'm sorry. No, I got to take care that of other customers. You saying that. Ring that ring. Was you. It's no, still no. It's, it's ringing uh-uh. again. I hear I'm uh-uh. talking to a person on the phone about <laughs> things that I have to do that are very important. This is crazy. We're customers. Oh, well, there's something on the ground. I'm going down behind the counter. I See can't you later. Bye. This is how he See you never his go away. You know? That's so strange. Maybe because they, you know, they hate Americans here. Oh, maybe that's what right. it is. That is probably what it is. They just don't like Americans. They don't like Americans. Okay, well, I'm just going to let it go without incident then. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. In our yeah. vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Deus ex machina. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We'll stop there. Right. Now, Mark, something we had talked about in previous things was scenes with little games inside of them, little frustration games inside of them. Did you see one in this? Yes. You, yes. You were playing one very, very well. Can you describe it in your own words? In that you were relying on, I hope that you were relying on me as a character to put the kibosh on this somehow. And I wasn't just interrupting your brilliant tirade. Yeah. Well, it's either you love this story and can't get enough or it's driving you crazy. And you did mm-hmm. a great job having it you drive did. you crazy and mm-hmm. sl- trying to slow us down and trying to get your frustration out to the point where you're just like, ah, so that, that was for the last several weeks. And that was, that was nice to see Mark. You know, I was well take, played. And once you, once you decided role. to be upset at our story, you're just going to be more upset. The master of the frustration scene is Bill Arnett. Oh, come on like, now. No. I've done several of them with him. He's always the frustrated one because I just say dumb stuff. And then he doesn't like that. Yeah. It, well, thank you, Linda. Thank you. He can play every role in the frustration scene now. That's what's so great about it. Like it doesn't, he's the master of the frustration mm. scene. And thank I Thank you very it. much, Linda. Thank you very, very much. And if anyone wants to take a workshop on the frustration scene, I will pitch it now mm-hmm. and just derail the whole program for my own capitalistic <laughs> marketing, <laughs> marketing campaign. So you, you hit on something in the scene where I was trying to introduce an idea of that barter of some sort, something that is not currency is available. But it seems like then I didn't know quite how to come back. I didn't want to just reject the suggestion because an experience is certainly something that one could exchange, but the fact that it is not then, you can't pay it forward. It is not like giving me a sheep that I can then give to somebody else. It is more like one of those time bank things where, okay, I will uh, accept an hour of you performing your show and then I will force an hour of my time on someone else. I forget exactly how those work. <laughs> well, yeah, if I take everybody out to dinner and we have a great time, you can certainly buy someone else food, but the time that we shared together is priceless. And it's not, (laughs) is that what you're kind of getting at? I would think that then as a really entertaining customer in a restaurant, you should just be like, you know, I'm not even going to tip you because you've been listening to what we've been saying. And man, we're funny. (laughs) This is probably the, the, the best table of your night. So you don't need additional recompense on top of that, right? This is an experience. Right. Well, see, I think that that is acceptable. And they don't have to accept it. You know what I mean? They can be like, okay, I didn't know that having this great banter was part of my salary. And you should have said that to me before you started your meal. So I don't have to accept those terms. But in the kindness of my own waitstaff heart, I will accept those. But I am also going to insist upon you ordering me a meal for after my shift. So you have to pay for that. Put it on your bill. What do you think of that? If this kind of thing can be done, society will break down. Right. 
We need. We no, need... I think that everything should be barterable. That is. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. It would add the human touch back into the world of having to deal with people. That is kind of what I like about our current system is that you can treat people like vending machines and you can just walk in and you don't actually have to talk to humans. The dollar from me and the dollar from someone who's exceptionally charming is still only worth a dollar. And I think Linda's little plan might leverage her natural charisma Mm -hmm. more so than someone without any charisma. And suddenly their (laughs) bargaining power is in the toilet (laughs) while Linda's getting free hotel rooms (laughs) and room service calls and not tipping for her compelling stories. Right. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to cry foul on on that one. Well, and it's sort of, you know, you were complaining before about the, we do associate working harder with something that deserves more money. So, because that's at least codifiable. But of course, you know, you're also saying talent, expertise, you can also put that into like, well, you're a, a surgeon that who's highly paid because you've put this extra work into being trained. But ultimately, it's got to boil down a lot of it to some sort of raw, unearned talents that are just going to be differential across the board. So either you just say, that's just part of the way that life is not fair. And we're going to convert those things into money anyway. Or I don't know, it just seems like maybe it points at money not being about fairness at all. No, we could all have Harvard PhDs and run 5K before breakfast and all just be the biggest go-getters, perfect SAT scores. Someone has to flip burgers. Mm -hmm. Society needs someone digging ditches. And I think what gets lost in all this is equating salary and money to worth and value as a human and ability as a human. And that's certainly something that the... We're all old enough to remember the era of the stay-at-home housewife and the fight to make sure that that person is, that's real work, you know, you know, and all that. But we're still around all that. And the idea that we look down on a ditch digger and feel like they get what they deserved. or It's like, no, I think I, we still need ditches. I still need my burger flipped and we shouldn't, you know. And I'm willing to pay somebody to do that. Uh, yeah. Or like, I should, or, or they, <laughs> you know, or they should. Because I don't want to do it and it has to get done. They should be paid a pittance or something, or we, they should get no handouts. It's like, maybe they're doing the best they can. And maybe the best they can is digging ditches and flipping burgers. It's just equating salary with value as a human, I think is a dangerous thing that humans do. And I would like for that part of money to go away. <laughs> well, I would be all for enough handouts so that our basic needs are all met. Nobody's really worrying about starving. And then on top of that, you get paid for effort and pain. So the ditch digger should get paid more than someone who actually has a fulfilling thing to do. Because they got to work on the hot sun and risk injuring their back. Exactly. I mean, the fulfilling thing, it's fine if it makes a little, but if your basic needs are already being met, then that's kind of how improvisers and philosophers live. <laughs> like yeah. you, can have a, you can have a family, there's always presents under the tree, there's always food, and you can have a, a vacation once a year. If you were to guarantee that to every human, I don't think there would be like, that's a fair life to have. Should we wrap this thing up? <laughs> Linda, I can't tell. There's a piece of me that looks like you're actually lying on your back and you're holding the camera over your face. <laughs> it is disorienting. The wall and the ceiling look the same. <laughs> and this is also, this is the oh, ceiling. Oh, that's not the ceiling. Okay. okay. <laughs> and it's also slanted. Ah. Okay. You know, so like, because it's like this. My bedroom is, the ceiling is a triangle. Okay. Right. You're in the attic or loft space. Up there. I am in the loft space. And this was my bedroom when I was growing up. Oh. And it's the best bedroom in the house, if I do say so myself. 
Okay. Which is probably why I turned out to be the coolest person. Did you in grow this up in a log cabin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did. Wow. I did. I grew up in a log cabin that my dad built. This is like Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. It is. Okay. We didn't have a bathroom when we moved in. <laughs> now, Mark, Linda was the perfect person to have for this improv lesson. Can you guess what the improv lesson is? The, the little moment that we just had with Linda and at the beginning of the show and then in both the scenes. Humoring the other person and asking them questions to get them to say more. Is it that basic? Telling stories. But again, a story isn't, I have a, necessarily, I have a theory unless it's got examples to back it up. In that first scene we did, when I was like, okay, you know, when you guys first started working here, I'm, I'm sure you saw some, that was my effort to get you to tell a distinct story from your past and not just a generalized story, but I thought Linda did a fair job. Now I'm trying to get the win right. I butter up the judge talking about having dated that Jimmy guy. But it's this idea that like all of those little details and making it a story and not a conjecture. And I don't know what to call it, but like it was on last Thursday, you know, when a story that starts like a narrative kind of a thing, there's so much information in those and the level of detail is always fantastic and interesting and gives us other places to go. Yeah, it was wonderful that we had Linda on here to actually respond appropriately to that. Whereas my goal in these scenes was just not to sound like I was confused or stupid, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. you know, established as, as someone who was being a little surly in the first one. And then in the second one, had my own agenda there. Uh, He's making behavior choices, Linda. Yeah. He's make, I mean, we, we've only had like 25 episodes, you know, an hour each and half of his philosophy. So, Mark, I think your improv is doing fantastic. It is. How do you guys know each other? Mutual uh, friend through through okay. podcasts. Yeah, I listened to a podcast okay. that he was on, mm-hmm. and that a mutual friend was on, and <laughs> had him on anyway. Yeah, and so now you do like this improv philosophy podcast, and now I know you, and you're never gonna. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's just the way. <laughs> I'm in there. Something that's I'm been in. added to your life, and you just can never mm-hmm. get away from that. <laughs> that was a great story, Mark. It had themes of. Well, the circuitous route to get to know something. It had themes of mutual friends. It had themes of, you know, of things in common. All that's great information and is great details that improvisers can use to make new scenes or more scenes or tell new or more stories on. I clearly had an opportunity to tell a story in an engaging way and missed the the, the cue that that was an opportunity. So uh, I will be on the lookout in the future. You got to be. You got to be. You saw the ball, you made contact, you grounded out to short. So that's fine. You're making contact, Mark. Mm -hmm. What do you think, either of you, was, you know, mostly my topic was on the table as usual. I gave, it's about money, but do you know what I was fishing for? Or what philosophically did you get out of this other than sort of truisms about money kind of isn't fair and it would be nice if we made more of it? Like there are a lot of things that are, I would say, pre-philosophical to say about it, but did you learn anything? in this discussion about money. Well, there was something that Bill was saying right before I distracted him by looking like this. And I can't remember what it was right now, but you were really making me think, which is why I put my head back in the first place. Yeah, let me sum up at least a little (laughs) theoretical stuff that is there's sort of this commodity theory of money. In other words, what you started with, like you've got time, you can convert it to money and you can get goats, you can convert that to money. I mean, that is just a wonderful thing that we don't have to carry around salt and cheese or whatever it is that we'd be trading if we didn't have this wonderful coins and paper. And I'm so glad that I don't even have to keep track of damn coins and paper anymore. 
I can't keep track of paper in my life ever. So I, like, I have my birth certificate prominently displayed on a shelf because I will lose it if I don't just in, so I could take it to the DMV. I had to order a new one because they're for the real ID purposes. But then there's also this idea that money is just a social construction. It is just a game. It is just bullshit. It is illusory. It is shallow. And those two sides interact in really interesting and very practical ways that we're all familiar with. And I think a lot of the stuff we were saying about the life of the artist and how to convert that, like, you know, is we live in the confluence of those two theories of money. It's got great utility. It's got horrible secondary things. Mm-hmm. 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 Maybe more attractive yeah. coins, maybe with a, with a more attractive heads on it. I, you know, that old George Washington head. Mm, I don't right. look at that. Linda, I don't know if it's been done before, but I do like the town prostitute who really knows what's going on because, because of pillow talk with all of the town leaders. Right. I think that's a I great, I think it's, shut. we should totally write that. If you want to work on done. that, if you want to I play the lead to. role, that's great. I I think you be know I'm in. That would be the perfect <laughs> role for me. All right. Those things haven't been explained now. Linda, we're, we're forcing you, we're pushing you into a corner. We need a judgment on this episode. Is philosophy or improv the victor? Oh. <laughs> Someone will cry, whatever okay. you say. I know. Well, I'm going to say improv's the victor, but only because I'm an improviser. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly the reverse of what every other improv guest has, has done. So yes. I think we are due for an improviser saying. I think people have tried to be nice and they always vote for the whoever didn't invite them on as a, trying to be a good guest. <laughs> And all the right. philosophy people vote improv. The improv people vote philosophy. So again, the person who wants a world of bartering. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I just thought it would be more fun as an improv topic to talk about money and bartering and things <laughs> than necessarily. I mean, there is a Stanford Encyclopedia article of money and finance that I can direct people to if you want. Oh, I'm sure. I'm more sure. about the commodity <laughs> theory versus the social construction. I will but, take the victory and cherish it and it will brighten the rest of my day. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm sorry, Mark. It is okay. I'll get over it eventually. (laughs) Thank you so much for for joining us. It was a delight to uh, invite you and to have us virtually enter your strangely uh, a-dimensional wooden space. (laughs) A land of dreams, I feel like, has been open to me. Indeed. And I enjoyed performing with you, Linda, again. Linda's also generally a local, so we got to catch up one of these days. Yeah, we And do. Uh, it was so nice seeing from you. And it was great learning from you, Mark. It was great yeah. learning from you, Bill. And, and see. See. Podcast. <laughs> hey, thanks everybody for listening. You can get more information about this podcast at philosophyimprov.com. I want to thank our four patrons that we have at this point. There are some other supporters through Apple, but Apple doesn't share their names with me, so I can't thank them. Thanks to Michael, Helen, Ramon, and Ethan. Don't you want your name to be read on the air? Well, you should go to philosophyimprov.com slash support, and you will get... Normally, there's an after show. We didn't happen to record one this time. I had to go pick up my daughter, who was stranded at the dentist. It's not a story worth going into, but be assured that hilarity did ensue. Thanks again to Linda and to our previous guests. If you are a degreed philosopher or a philosophy podcaster, maybe, or a person active in the world of improv and would like to be a guest, feel free to reach out to us. 
There is a contact form at philosophyimprov.com. And I also want to remind you that I would love to use art by the children of my listeners. If you look at that website, you'll see that for each and every episode, there is something usually just snatched off the web to provide a visual accompaniment to what you're hearing here. So if you have a child that has art that you want to submit, or maybe a box of your own art from when you're a child that you want to scan in, feel free to reach out to me. And at last, you'll receive the recognition that you so richly deserve. Thanks so much. So long. Bankrupt. 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 Bankrupt.